What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is episode 280 of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the program on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can follow our social pages on Facebook and on Twitter slash X uh, for the latest updates. Uh, Good to be back with you folks. I know the last couple of weeks have been very weird. Uh, Apologize for the you know, lack of updates, uh, just had a lot of, uh, kind of just, kind of just some stuff going on, had a, um, illness that I'm kind of still working over, but, uh, glad to uh, be back and talk with you folks this week. It's going to be a little bit different, probably will be a little bit shorter, you know, be a little bit, you know, not as much talking about other stuff. We're going to focus on, uh, just the local teams. Don't know how in-depth I'm going to go, you know, kind of just going to go through my thoughts about each of the teams and, you know, where each of the teams are and that sort of thing. So it might be a little shorter this week, you know, going to hope to get back to doing um, some, you know, full length episodes next week, um, get uh, guests going as well. Um, but great to be back. So I think we're going to start where, uh, you know, start, start with the hard stuff first. You know, I think the stuff that's been I've been thinking about the most after, you know, watching some games with this particular team, you know, we're talking about the Patriots, you know, a team that I think over the last couple of years, I've always had, you know, kind of an optimistic confidence with this team. And, you know, maybe that's me just being more of an optimist than anything else. But I think based on what we've seen the last two weeks, you know, I think the last episode we did was a post-Cowboys game. You know, Patriots stood at 1-3 and three after that and then, you know, followed it up with a very disappointing loss at home to the Saints. You know, probably one of the worst Patriot games that has been played at Gillette Stadium, you know, in the history of that stadium. You know, it's crazy to think that, you know, maybe that's a conversation for another day, but I think just thinking about the history of that stadium, that that was the worst loss they ever had. It's kind of just crazy to think about. But, you know, I think clearly it's disappointing. You know, sitting at one and five, coming off a disappointing loss in Oakland that I thought, you know, multiple times during that game that the Patriots had a good chance to win, you know, and I think were in a position to win. And then, you know, Parker drops that long pass and, you know, that that's it. But, you know, it's, it's difficult, I think, because for me personally, I had a lot of, you know, I don't know if I would say high expectations, but I think expectations that this team would be back in the playoffs, you know, this team would be able to, you know, take whatever issues were with offense last year, you know, and kind of put them behind them and, you know, work better with the better offensive coordinator and, you know, presumably a better group of players around Mac Jones. But I think, you know, clearly the two biggest issues with this team on offense is the health and just inconsistent play of the offensive line, you know, and I think that sure, you could say that maybe it's a a larger, you know, issue in the entire NFL, you know, quality of offensive lines. Because it's probably one of the worst, you know, it's ever been when you think about the entire league. But I think 
specifically for this Patriots team, that I think what we're seeing is a team that, you know, really needs a good offensive line to be a solid offensive group. And they haven't had a good offensive line, and they've statistically been one of the worst offenses in the league. You know, and it looks kind of a lot like last year. You know, it looks, I mean, it looks different, I think, in terms of, like, there's not as many issues with communication and, you know, ill-advised timeouts and, like, false starts. I mean, yes, there are a lot of flags, but I think it kind of looks different. But clearly, the results are still the same. And I think it kind of all starts with the line. And I think it's disappointing, in my opinion, because I think Trent Brown has had a really good season. He's not been the issue. He's been pretty solid, you know, but I think you had the injuries to Strange, the injuries to Owenu, and I think it really kind of screwed things up. And I think that the Patriots did also have injuries at the right tackle spot, you know, bringing in Riley Reef, they had to put him on injured reserve. That's three, that's three linemen right there that I think when, you know, the training camp began, you thought, okay, this is clearly going to be your group of five you know, with David Andrews included there, that, okay, it's going to be Brown, Strange, Andrews, Owenu, and Reef, And there wasn't going to be any other, you know, conversation that, okay, maybe they bring in some other guys, Calvin Anderson, some of the rookies. But I think, you know, clearly it's not gone according to plan and different guys have had to shuffle in and different guys have had issues at certain times, whether it's false starts holdings, you know, giving up pressures, giving up sacks and things like that. And I think it's kind of just been a disaster, you know, and I think not only that, but it doesn't help when, you know, your quarterback is making a lot of ill-advised decisions, you know, and I think it's frustrating to watch Mac Jones continue to, you know, make the same type of mistakes that it seems like he's been making week after week, you know, three weeks in a row he has had bad interceptions. And I think that's the frustrating part that I think we all thought that, okay, you know, you go through the issues of last year, you go through the issues of, you know, working with an offensive coaching staff that maybe didn't really know what they were doing. And then the thought was, okay, you bring in an actual offensive coordinator, a guy that's run offenses before, and Mac Jones is going to be, closer to the quarterback we saw the rookie year, you know, and obviously that's not happening. You're seeing a lot of, I think, bad, bad decisions, you know, bad throws, you know, a lot of throws where there seemingly isn't a lot of pressure and Mac is, you know, throwing off his back foot or, you know, not stepping into throws, you know, making, trying to make throws on the run, trying to make throws across your body where it's like, you know, I know we try to be positive here, but it's like they teach you that, you know, that, I mean, that's football 101 to not throw across your body. And it's just is like, I don't really understand why, you know, these mistakes keep happening, you know, and it's kind of like a red flag for me where it's like, okay, there's a difference between, you know, making a bad throw an interception, pick six, you know, and then coming back 
and, you know, bouncing back from it, which is what we saw Mac Jones do a lot in his rookie year. You know, it's, it's ironic that he had that bad pick against the Cowboys, the same team that, you know, he threw a pick six against two years ago, and then he comes back the next play and throws a 75-yard touchdown. You know, we're not seeing that confident Mac Jones, and I think, you know, it really stinks. You know, it stinks that we're not seeing the level of progression that I think we should see. You know, I think it's, of, of course, it's unfortunate what happened last year. And I think you could point to last year and say, okay, maybe he lost some confidence, you know, regressed or whatever. But it's like, this is a new season. We're six weeks into the new season. You shouldn't still be, you know, beating the drum of, oh, well, last year was so bad. You know, you got to cut him some slack. Me personally, I'm kind of done cutting him slack because he keeps making the same errors. And I think, you know, it's a tough spot to be in because I think a lot of us assume that, okay, here is a quarterback that was going to progress and be closer to what he was his rookie year, which I think if he was, this team would be in a better spot. Now, you know, is the, you know, inability of the offense to score, is it all his fault? No. Is it all on him? No. You've clearly had an offensive line that's not protected him well. You know, the receiving core, I think, is not doing as well as it should. And for whatever reason, Ramondre Stevenson, you know, I'm not, I don't know what, what the issue is with him. He doesn't look himself. And so I think you think about all these things and you consider the fact that Mac Jones is making a lot of poor decisions. It's a terrible combination, you know, and it's no wonder this team is having trouble scoring touchdowns. You know, it's no wonder they went, you know, two plus games without scoring a touchdown. You know, when you have a bad offensive line, when you have a quarterback making bad decisions, when you have one of your, you know, best offensive playmakers not looking like himself, and then you have a receiving group that, other than Kendrick Bourne, isn't really making much of a difference. You know, I think it's, it's just unfortunate, and I think, it's one of these things that, you know, I, I said this a lot at the beginning of the year that, you know, they were losing games in the margins and, you know, losing a lot of these games that, you know, typically they didn't normally lose. And I just think that, you know, of course, getting blown out in Dallas, getting blown out against the Saints is not losing in the margins. You know, that's getting totally blown out. But I think... You know, it's, I think, when you consider all the great years that the Patriots were so good that you kind of forgot what losing felt like. And I think now that they're losing games and they're losing games with kind of great regularity, you know, it's kind of like a foreign concept, um, which, you know, I don't blame people for being upset, but I think there might be people taking it a little bit too far. Um, but I think, you know, it's, I think for me it's tough because I didn't see one in five being a possibility. You know, I really didn't see it. Like, I really thought at this point in the season, okay, maybe you're two and three. 
or uh, maybe maybe you're two and four, you know, worst case scenario. But it's just, you know, it just it stinks, and I think it's too bad that I think you're seeing some guys on defense having really good years and having good years, you know, stepping in for guys that are hurt, you know, and I think it's been a quality defensive unit for a good period of time, you know, and it stinks that it seems like the defense is coming up with big plays and the offense can't capitalize. And that's kind of a lot of what you saw last year, that it was the defense that would keep the team in games, would be able to get defensive touchdowns and be able to, you know, kind of lead you to wins. That's not happening this year. But I still think that there are reasons to be excited about some of the guys on defense. Um, And I think that defensively in the secondary, it's going to be a good group of players next year. And I think, yes, thanks to maybe look ahead to next year, you know, but I think we need to be realistic about what we've seen from this team, that they're one in five, probably not going to the playoffs, you know, unless something crazy happens. But, you know, I think if you want to look ahead to 2024, I think that's fine. You know, me personally, I'm not a tanking person, never have been, and I never will be. And so I think, you know, this idea that the Patriots should, you know, do the worst they can to get a good draft pick is is silly to me. I think that it, you know, goes against the integrity of the game. And I think Bill Belichick and that team, that organization, that's not something that is is in their DNA. And I think to even suggest that is a little bit crazy because I think when you think about Bill Belichick and you think about what the Patriots try to do is they try to go out and win and get better every week. And I just think, you know, it should, it would be a tough thing to sell, I think, to try to not do well. It's like I just, you try telling Jabril Peppers to, like, not play as hard. Or you tell Matthew Slater that, you know, this is what the plan's going to be. It's just like, you know, I don't know necessarily what that looks like you know does it mean certain guys getting held out of games because maybe they you know tweak something in practice you know I don't really know what the tanking really means where it's like are you intentionally doing things to lose games because I think look the Patriots are not you know super talented and I think going against this hard schedule they may just win five games just because the schedule is as hard as it is and maybe you're not the most talented team and I think you know that kind of seems like the way it's going to trend but I just think I don't think that this team should be looking for ways to lose games sure if you want to try out Will Greer at quarterback if you want to try putting more on Malik Cunningham's plate Sure, I absolutely agree that that's something that they should think about. Um, But I think trying to go out there and lose games on purpose is a loser mentality. And that's not what this franchise is about. You know, other franchises can do it and think that that's fine. But it's just, 
in my opinion, like that doesn't always work out. You know, you could do as poorly as you can draft Caleb Williams, but what if he doesn't turn out to be very good? You know, what if you waste, or not waste, but you pick another quarterback in the first round, which maybe they do, but it's like if you're going to purposely lose games and take, take a, you know, Williams or a Drake May, what happens if they're not very good? Then it's like, okay, you're doing it again and again and again, and then it becomes kind of a, it becomes a cycle of being non-competitive. And I think it's depressing that some people think that this current run post-Brady is being non-competitive, you know, which is crazy. You know, sure, is their record over the last four years, whatever it is, a little under 500? I think it is. But it's like people are acting like that's the worst. You know, that that is like the worst place that they can be. And it's just, it's not really that bad. I mean, obviously this year is bad. You know, I think this year is different than some of the other years because I think there's a combination of things that are all going wrong at the same time. And I think you were lucky enough over the last couple of years to be able to kind of withstand some of those issues and be able to win seven, 10, eight games. I don't think they're going to win that many this year just based on what we've seen. But I think, you know, people have to think that, you know, for whatever it was the last couple of years, it could get a lot worse. You know, this is a team that could win four or five, four or five games and be non-competitive. And then people will actually see what being non-competitive actually looks like instead of thinking that being what they've been the last four years is non-competitive. And sure, if you want to think that, if you want to say non-competitive means not being a threat in the playoffs, okay, maybe you're not wrong there, but I don't know, in my opinion, winning seven, eight, nine games, you know, is good enough to be in a playoff position where it's like, technically, yes, you are competitive. You're not competitive like you used to be, but you're not, you know, a terrible football team. And yeah, I know it, it sounds, you know, strange because yes, they are a a bad football team at the moment, but you know, I do think that they're better than the record shows. I mean, yes, they've had a couple of games where they've not been able to close them out, but I think You know, I still want this team to go out and compete. I still want certain guys to go out and compete. And I think that's kind of the biggest thing. um, That I think going out and competing, going out and doing your best is all you can do. Play for pride. Because I really don't want to see this team go down the, you know, go down the road of losing games intentionally. You know, that's not a place that I want this team to go. Um, So, you know, obviously, you got the Bills this weekend. Patriots are pretty banged up. They have, I believe, 20 players on the injury report. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, I think it just is a disappointing type of year where it seems like nothing goes right. And then when it does, you know, you you have an injury or have something that goes wrong. I mean, nothing was more obvious than Ramondre Stevenson coming out of halftime on Sunday 
running for 14 yards, slamming his head on the ground, and then it's like, great, he has to leave the game. You know, Hunter Henry had to leave the game, and it just is, you know, getting worse and worse. But, you know, you have 11 games to play. You know, now is not the time to just quit, even though some fans might think that that's the answer. Um, I think that there's still a large amount of pride that guys can still play for. You know, I don't think that they beat the Bills this weekend. It's unfortunate that they get the Bills and the Dolphins, you know, back-to-back games that are going to be challenging. However, I think that, you know, with the Bills having a couple injuries on defense, you know, Josh Allen, I don't know if he's 100% for this game. Um, could be somewhat interesting. You know, the Bills have been a weird team this year where they've had a couple of games where they've destroyed the opposition. You think about the games against Washington, against Miami, but then they have games where they don't play well and they kind of win by the skin of their teeth, which they did Sunday night against the Giants. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of Buffalo team we see. But I think that maybe this could be a game that's closer for Buffalo and the Patriots, you know, have an opportunity to make it interesting. But I think if they're going to have any success on the football field this year, it starts and ends with taking care of the football. And if you're turning the ball over, you will not win. And we've seen that the last three weeks that when the Patriots turn it over, they don't win. So I think that's what it starts with. You know, I think would love to see them get back to being an established the run type of team, you know, hopefully be able to ride Ezekiel Elliott, you know, work some play action, get Kendrick Bourne involved, you know, it'd be interesting to see if anyone is back from the injury report this week, you know, Tyquan Thornton got into a game last week, you know, does Smith Schuster and uh, Douglas get their way back, you know, see about Henry's status. Um, So that will be kind of interesting to monitor some of the guys that are on the injury report. Now, I think, in my opinion, most of these guys are going to play. They just happen to be on the injury report. I don't think it's, you know, anything major. But, you know, I think it'll be interesting to see if there's any type of change at quarterback. Do the Patriots roll out Will Greer at some point? Do they continue to, or do they try to give Malik Cunningham a little bit more to do? That will kind of be interesting to see. So, you know, I don't know if that's as soon as this week, but I think something for the rest of the season worth keeping an eye on, you know, how much further the Patriots are going to be willing to go to Mac, go how far they'll be willing to go with Mac Jones. You know, do they make a change at some point? Um, Be interesting to see. So I think, I think next we'll jump to the Bruins. Before we do that, we'll take a little bit of a break and be right back. And we're back talking about the Bruins next. Uh, Obviously, it's uh, been quite a bit since we've uh, last spoke on the podcast about the Bruins, but obviously the team has played two regular season games. We'll have a third game uh, tonight in San Jose. Bruins starting a four-game road trip stops in San Jose, Los Angeles, Anaheim, and then Chicago, a rematch with Connor Bedard and the Blackhawks. So I think 
a lot of thoughts about the first two games. Um, I think most interesting to me, and you know, I think that this probably was news after we, you know, last spoke that uh, Matthew Patra made the team out of training camp and um, will be with the Bruins for at least nine games. You know, I think after nine games, the Bruins had the decision to either keep him in Boston or send him to the juniors. You know, there's some rule that I guess states that, you know, guys in Potter's situation can only go to the NHL or juniors. So, you know, Bruins will be faced with the decision, but I got to tell you through two games, he looks like he belongs. And I think, you know, obviously had the assist on the first goal um, in the opener, but I think he just looks comfortable. And I think looks like a guy that can give the Bruins a little bit of a jolt. And I think, you know, hopefully the Bruins continue to play him in kind of a top six role so that they can return Charlie Coyle to more of a third line role, which I think he's better at. Um, I just love the kid's game. It just is so simple. It just seems like he always is making the correct play. Um, Just really good with, you know, time and space on his, or he's really good when he has time and space. I mean, I think it was very obvious on that goal uh, in the opener where it was like, comes into the zone, turns, you know, has great ice vision to find Carlo, you know, has the assist. So I think it's, you know, a difficult decision because I think the Bruins probably didn't think that he was going to, you know, make this team out of camp, but he's made it difficult, you know, and it was interesting that it seemed like throughout training camp, that was kind of his whole goal, that he was going to make it extremely difficult for the Bruins to send him back to juniors, and ultimately it was, and they didn't send him back. And I think just kind of that mentality um, is just great to see from a prospect in the Bruins system that I think, you know, typically the Bruins are a team that like their, you know, prospects or younger guys to marinate for a time in the in the AHL or juniors or wherever. And I think Potter are kind of forcing their hand to be like, I'm not like other prospects. You know, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to stick. And I think it's been awesome to see that the Bruins seemingly have found something with this kid and not trying to say that he's their answer to be, you know, second line center or anything like that. But I think what you've seen through the first two games is a kid that belongs. A kid who's 19 years old, you know, I think is withstanding some of the punishment. I think, you know, something will happen at some point. You know, maybe he gets lit up. Maybe there's a big hit that comes. And that will be kind of a welcome to the NHL moment for him. But I think that he's assimilated well. And I think one of the things that I was thinking about the other day is the best way for him to, you know, assimilate to the physical nature of the NHL and the, you know, American, I shouldn't say American game because, well, maybe I should because I think the juniors in the NHL are two totally different things. But I think kind of assimilating to the physical nature, you know, the best way for him to kind of get comfortable is to expose him to that. And I think he's looked good through the first two games. Be interesting to see how this kind of road trip goes. Uh, for him and the team, obviously, but I think 
he's not a guy that looks out of place. And I think there are a couple people that have said it. You know, I think Ty Anderson um, and Bruins Network on Twitter, uh, X, whatever you want to call it, both great follows on Twitter for uh, Bruins content. You know, both of them said that, you know, it might be good for him to stay in the NHL, that I think sending him back to the juniors doesn't really do a lot for his game, that I think keeping him keeping him in Boston, you know, does more for his development because it almost seems like, I don't want to say he's mastered the juniors, but with a guy that had 90-plus points last year, you know, 79 assists, whatever it was, is a guy that kind of, you know, looks comfortable in juniors. And if, if your two options are to send him back to a place where he's kind of getting close to mastering, you know, or a place that he's completely brand new in and, you know, can do more for his development. And I think it's great to see the Bruins have given him this chance, but I hope that he stays here for the rest of the season. And I think that if he continues to play well and put up some points, the Bruins are, you know, not going to have a choice but to keep him here for the rest of the season. So, you know, he's been really fun to watch. Um, David Pasternak is David Pasternak and, you know, just just ridiculous, this guy. The penalty shot goal uh, against Nashville, obviously, had a couple against Chicago. But I think just the guy that's going to continue to score um, and kind of be your, be your guy, be your number one goal scorer. So, um, so that's good to see um, him being, you know, comfortable as that you know, number one goal scorer, number one, you know, offensive uh, output player, you know, which I think is not necessarily something that's new because I think even with all the talent they had last year, he was still kind of their number one option. You know, I think it might mean a little bit more this season just considering the fact that they don't have, you know, as much of that talent, but you know, another guy who's been off to a good start. Um, I think that it seems like the Bruins are going to give, you know, speaking of Patra, giving him more time in kind of a top six role. Uh, it seems like he'll be playing with Marchand and Morgan Geeky, who have actually really liked his game so far. So the three of them will be a pair, or will be a trio, I should say. <clears throat> And then you have uh, DeBrusque, Zaka, and Pasternak, which will be interesting to see. Um, and then Coyle's been play- practiced with Frederick and Van Riemsdyk. And then you got the fourth line with Lucic, Beecher, and uh, Lauko, who I think has been a really good... That's been a really, really solid line. Really liked um, the way that Lucic just looked through the first two games. Um, and I think maybe to the... Uh, chagrin of some people that, you know, didn't want him signed. He's had a pretty good first two games and I think has played with good energy and I think has looked, you know, I don't want to say every bit the part, but it does kind of look like he's turned back the clock a little bit and has been playing, you know, that big physical game and, you know, looks pretty good setting up Pasternak for that go-ahead goal um, in the opener. But I just think that he and Beecher and Lauko worked work really well together. Um, and I think it's telling that the Bruins, 
you know, after the first two games, making some of these lineup changes. But I think it's telling that the Bruins have these these three guys, you know, staying on the line together. So that's been really uh, fun to see. I think the three of them work together with, I think, Lucic, obviously the old, uh, the old veteran, you know, returning to the Bruins. And then you have Beecher, who's playing in his first couple games. You know, Lauko, who I think has made a little bit of an impact at the NHL, NHL level, but I don't think it's, you know, it's not quite, you know, a vet yet, but I think that the three of them, it's just a great combination. Um, and I think defensively, really no issues. You know, Carlo and Lindholm look like a great pair. Um, I think that Shad and Kirk has looked pretty good. It'd be interesting to see, I think, on this road trip, Ian Mitchell might get into a game or two. So that will be kind of interesting to see. And then goaltending, you know, no issues whatsoever with Swayman and Olmark. And I think they're going to be a big reason why the Bruins do a lot better this year than anyone thinks. You know, I think this is a team that's really going to fly under the radar. You know, just a quiet team that didn't do a lot in the in the, in the offseason. You know, lost a lot of kind of their, you know, lost a lot of their talent. But I think anytime you have two great goaltenders, a very good defensive group, and an elite goal scorer, you're probably going to do pretty well. So I think it's exciting uh, time to be a Bruins fan. So, you know, just kind of a little update on them. Uh, Celtics have their final uh, preseason game tonight in Charlotte. Unclear about how they're going to approach that. Celtics played their starters on Tuesday night against the Knicks. Looked pretty good. You know, I think that with more games and more, you know, minutes, they're going to, you know, be playing with a little, I think, better chemistry. Not like the chemistry hasn't been good in the preseason. I thought it's been, I think it's been really, really good. But I think, you know, getting games, getting minutes under them is going to be really important. I think just considering the big changes that they've made to this roster, I think with Holiday and Porzingis that, you know, you have to assimilate these two guys into the team and, you know, figure out how best to utilize them and how best, I think, to utilize Horford and Derek White too, because I think at certain points, either of those guys could come off the bench. Um, but I think, you know, preseason, I think I've been most impressed as has everyone with Peyton Pritchard. I think that him really being able to show the Celtics what he can do, you know, being rewarded with that $30 million extension, I think it's done, you know, wonders for him. I mean, I also think the clearing out of some of the point guards has helped him, but I think the Celtics really believing in him um, has been a, a great thing to see in the preseason, and I think, you know, may not be a guy that gets a lot of minutes, but I think being kind of that next, you know, that top backup point guard off the bench is going to be huge for him, a guy that can be instant offense and a guy that I think can run an offense, and I think just playing with the confidence that he's playing with is great to see because I think at times last year, you know, kind of for, for understandable reasons, 
maybe didn't play with that level of energy and that level of intensity, but I think he's someone that really could be huge for this team, um, you know, throughout the season and in the playoffs too. You know, I think some of the other bench guys they think have been interesting, you know, Hauser, I think obviously can shoot, you know, we know what he can do, but is a solid defender. I really like the addition of O'Shea Brissett. He's a lot more athletic than I thought that he was. So, you know, he's kind of been a nice addition. Um, kind of not sure about what this team team's thought is for bigs, because I think other than Porzingis and Horford, you don't really know what you're going to get with Wang and Gabriel, who's not played a whole lot of minutes in the preseason. You know, you have Luke Cornett, but, you know, personally, I don't think he's someone that should be playing major minutes, you know, if he needs to play <clears throat> some minutes here and there if someone's hurt, you know, that's fine. But I think he's not really someone that I think they should be relying on to play regular minutes. So, you know, I don't know, is Gabriel that guy? Do they sign someone once the regular season starts? You know, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the Celtics fill out. The rest of their roster will be interesting. You know, you got Mahai Luke in there, Lamar Stevens, Jordan Walsh. <clears throat> you know, obviously you got your two-way guys who will be in Boston for part of the season. So, you know, that will be interesting to see. But I think the final preseason game tonight kind of will be interesting to see how they approach it. I think with the opener next Wednesday, you know, that's a lot of time. That's six days. So it will be interesting to see how they, you know, approach this game. Do they play some of the starters? Do they give kind of one last look to some of the bench guys? Uh, Delano Banton is another guy that I think has really impressed me in the preseason. I think his ability to get to the basket really easily um, is just kind of gives you something else at kind of that point guard position, you know, he's pretty big for a point guard, but I think I always liked what he could do defensively in Toronto, you know, a guy that can get to the basket. There was one game, one preseason game, I think it was against the Knicks, where he just got to the basket over and over, and I think the Celtics can never have enough of those guys that can give you offense in different ways, so, you know, very excited to see Holiday and Porzingis and how they work. With the Celtics, you know, I think it's just going to make things a lot easier offensively for both Jalen and Jason. And I think just going to, you know, take take some off their plate so they don't feel like they have to be the guys who have to score, you know, 30 points a game every night. You know, not that they're going to defer necessarily, but I think knowing that they have another capable guy um, in Porzingis, and I think... Porzingis being with this team is great because I think, you know, he's someone that can 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 assimilate well with Jalen and Jason um, and kind of be able to, you know, see what they can do and kind of give them whatever they need, but is also a pretty high-quality basketball player, too. You know, he's not just any other guy. I mean, I think he's been the number one or number two scoring option of pretty much every team he's played on. But I think it might be a little bit different this year. But I think, you know, him being able to to 
to score in the low post and be able to hit those, you know, mid-range jumpers to give the Celtics different looks offensively, you know, is going to be huge. I kind of liken his addition to, you know, Taylor Hall with the Bruins a couple of years ago that, you know, was a guy that was almost always one of the primary options with whatever team he was on. And then he came to, you know, the Bruins and, you know, was able to kind of not take a back seat, but not have to have that pressure of being, you know, the number one guy. And I think Chris Stapps being here, he's, you know, the number three guy, maybe the number four. So I think it's works out really well for him. So, you know, this is a team I'm very excited for. I think 60 wins is not out of the question. You know, they won 57 last year with a coach that, you know, took over the team days before training camp started. So I'd like to think that with a legitimate offseason with a coaching staff that Joe Mazzulla could actually hire, I think they're going to do better. And I think, and I said this a lot last year, uh, I think people were way too hard on Joe Mazzulla. Um, and I think people should have given him more credit than he got. And I think for people to even suggest that, like, he should be fired last year, I think that's crazy. I just think that impossible to ask of someone to come into that team, you know, days before training camp, take a team with title aspirations, take them to a game seven against the Heat, and yes, okay, they lost. Maybe it was embarrassing or whatever, but Jason Tatum sprained his ankle. The Celtics probably win that game if he doesn't, and, you know, I, I just think Joe got too much heat last year, and it's going to be good to see him have a coaching staff that he assembled, you know, kind of having more of an imprint on this team. It'll be nice to see, uh, you know, what he can do with this team this year. So, you know, very excited for the Celtics. Uh, season starts next Wednesday. Hopefully we'll have a guest Friday for you um, where we will talk about the Celtics. I'll briefly touch on the Red Sox. Not really much new. I think Verdugo's a finalist for Gold Glover, or is, fi- is a finalist for a Gold Glove um, in, in the outfield, so we'll see how he does. But, you know, really the only news is people who have or have not interviewed uh, with the Red Sox, and I think a lot of people have taken their name out of the running, which, you know, is disappointing, but in my opinion, it's not surprising. You know, I think you had the last two um, guys who were in charge with Bloom and Dombrowski, you know, pretty much did whatever the assignment was um, and still, you know, lost their job. So I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that people might be wary of, you know, being a part of this team where, you know, ownership may or may not allow them to do what they want to do, you know, and may force them to do things. So I don't know. You know, it's not something that I'm, you know, too excited about because I think at the end of the day, it's probably going to be an internal hire. You know, not to say that those people are not a, a great hire, but I just think, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to find, like, confidence with an ownership group in a front office that, you know, I don't know. I think it's kind of... It's kind of unclear, 
you know, how much, you know, Alex Cora might have, I don't want to say power over, but it just seems like he's going to be very involved in the team. And, you know, I just hope that whoever they bring in is someone that is allowed to kind of do what they, you know, kind of be able to do what they want instead of being someone that is kind of, you know, ownership telling them to do something. So, you know, it'll be interesting. You know, I think watching some of these playoff games, tried to, you know, look at certain guys that I think would be good fits. Um, Aaron Nola, I think, in my opinion, is one of the guys that should be at the top of the list uh, for the Red Sox in terms of improving their rotation. Uh, he's pitched really well in the postseason and is a free agent this offseason. And I'd like for the Red Sox to take a run at him. Um, I think could really be a good, you know, front of the rotation kind of guy that, you know, takes pressure off some of your other rotation pieces. Um, so be interesting to see what happens. You know, I'd like for the Red Sox to get someone hired and kind of figure it out before, you know, they start the offseason behind the eight ball. Because it kind of, I don't know, to me, it's kind of surprising they haven't picked anyone yet. Or, you know, made a decision. You know, Sam Kennedy seems to make it sound like, you know, this great opportunity to be, you know, in Boston. But it's like, I don't know. The the candidates kind of not being interested in the job kind of tells you otherwise. Now, I think there maybe are extenuating circumstances with some other people that don't want to, you know, uproot their families. You know, maybe they signed an extension somewhere. Um, but I think, I don't know, it's not exactly the most appealing, you know, situation. I think it's not as appealing as the Red Sox front office are, you know, making it out to be. So, but it will be interesting to see, you know, what the decision is that gets made. But I don't know, I'm not super confident about the uh, situation. So before we go talk a little bit, about the revolution, they were going into their final uh, regular season game uh, this weekend, Saturday at six, against the Philadelphia Union. The Revolution are in fifth place um, in the East. I think two points out of fourth and three points out of third. So it seems like in all likelihood that the Revs uh, will be opening up the playoffs on the road. Uh, top seven teams in the East make it. Revs, obviously, are safe. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, all seven teams in the East are set, you know, with Nashville being that final playoff team. But they're eight points ahead of the next closest team. So I think Nashville, Atlanta, Revs, Columbus, Philadelphia, Orlando, and Cincinnati are the uh, playoff teams. So the Revs, obviously, hosting... Philadelphia, who are in third place. I don't think the Revs can jump them. Um, if I'm imagining goal differential is the tiebreaker, uh, the Revs are six goals behind Philadelphia. So unless the Revs beat Philadelphia like seven to nothing, they'll probably stay. Um, you know, if they happen to beat Philadelphia, Philadelphia would have the tiebreaker. The Revs are two points behind the Columbus crew. So the Revs, if they get a win and the crew lose, Revs could move up to fourth. I think could be in play, possibly for a home game. So I think it doesn't look like they're going to get a home playoff game, but I guess they could. 
Um, but this is a team that, you know, unfortunately is kind of limped to the end of the regular season with uh, three consecutive losses um, and have only one win since uh, Bruce Arena was, uh, since Bruce Arena uh, resigned. So, you know, I think it's it's difficult for me to have many expectations with this group. I think just considering how much change considering how much change they've gone through. Um, and so I think, you know, you hope that they can get a win before they go into the playoffs. But, you know, I think you may have to temper your expectations with this team going into the playoffs, which is disappointing because I really thought at points this summer they looked really, really strong. And then, you know, all this happens at Bruce Arena. And look, it's understandable that, a team that goes through this type of turmoil, you know, is going to struggle. You know, it's not necessarily a surprise. You know, they have a good group of players, but I think it's a huge adjustment for anyone. So, you know, I think the Revs offense still goes through Carlos Heel, and I think as long as he is a part of the team and he's, you know, healthy, the Revs are going to have a chance to win any game. So I think don't count them out in the playoffs, but... I don't think that we should be like, okay, you know, they, they have to make it to the Eastern Conference Finals uh, or else the season is a failure. You know, I think I kind of have to consider what the things that they've gone through. You know, you hope that this offseason things can get, you know, worked out and the Revs can kind of get back on track. But, you know, it's difficult with the way that they've played. It's kind of hard to have a lot of confidence um, going into their final regular season game. But... That's what it is. Revs in Philadelphia, 6 o'clock start on Saturday evening. Uh, playoffs presumably will start next week, so obviously we'll keep you updated on that. But I think that's probably going to do it for me this week. Um, yeah, hope you uh, enjoyed this, just talking about the local teams. Uh, hoping to get back to a regular schedule next week, get a guest Friday, and uh, get back on track. So... Uh, thanks for listening, everyone, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.